happened is February 8th. It is uh, 2009. Our message this morning is scary scriptures. So if, uh, if you're taking notes in the pastor's corner, you will want to write scary scriptures. The testimonies that just occurred before we started our recording of people hearing from God and delivering trucks and food and all of those things is a part of this message as well. So I'll probably refer back to them several times. As we start our message called Scary Scriptures, you're going to want to turn to Revelation 2. This book is not Revelations. It has no S on it. It is Revelation. And uh, in Greek, it is Apocalypse. And what this is, is it is the revelation of Jesus to the church. It is not a book that is solely futuristic. I don't believe that when this book was given to the church, that the church said, you know, obviously this would be of great benefit to a people 2,000 years from now on a continent that we've never heard of called North America. I believe that they found real relevance in their lives for it. I'm not so adamant about this position that I don't think that there are yet things to be fulfilled from the book of Revelation. I most certainly do. But I think that we make a mistake when we read this and say, oh, well, this is obviously describing this church age. This is obviously talking about these people or that people. I think that it most obviously is speaking about the people to whom it is addressed. Does that make sense? Now, whether or not you agree with me will not uh, hinder the truth of the message that you're going to hear. But I encourage you that when you read this, not to think fanciful thoughts about ridiculous books and movies that have come out. I think, I think you would be better served to think, who was this addressed to, and how were they living, and how did it impact them, and what can I learn from that? As we do that, Revelation 2 starts off with the title, To the Church in Ephesus. Wouldn't it be good to know something about Ephesus at the time this book was written? If you want to know who this was written to, how they lived, and see how it impacted their lives, perhaps we could learn something about them and then draw some conclusions from that. One of the things that you need to know is Ephesus was no small city. By ancient world standards, 500,000 people in the first century is a lot of people. This is like a New York-style city of its day. If you look closely in the Scriptures, and I'm just going to run through a few without turning there, you'll find in Acts 19 that Paul had quite an encounter in Ephesus. And the city was full of idolatry, of occultic practices, that they had such a response to the Gospel that they burned thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars worth of witchcraft-like scrolls. The city was full of everything that you would think of when you think of Las Vegas. Full of everything that you would think of when you think of Amsterdam. It was full of everything on earth that was wicked. And in Acts 19, there was a setting where... Oh, by the way, this picture that you see here is the marketplace in Ephesus. I'll come back to that. There was a setting in which a theater stood. And this is the theater that you see here. It's been torn down and rebuilt and torn down and rebuilt. But a man named Demetrius who made idols in Ephesus was concerned because his trade was being threatened. If what Paul is teaching is true, then the goddess Artemis whom we worship is being robbed of her divine majesty. She's being made to look lesser than. It was in this very same city some 300 and some odd years later in the year 431, that a corrupt, wicked church council named Mary the Queen of Heaven. Very same city. This is where she was declared in church literature to be the Mother of God and Queen of Heaven. It is interesting to note that for many centuries prior to that, Artemis and Diana had been worshipped in the very same city at the very same temple as the Mother of God, Queen of Heaven, and a virgin goddess with a celibate priesthood. In Ephesus, not only did we have this kind of idolatry going on, but we had outstanding Christian leaders. 
I mean, when you think of heroes of the faith, Paul is one of the men that first brought the gospel to Ephesus. He left Priscilla and Aquila there, heroes of the faith, to farm it, to grow it, to evangelize. He planted Timothy there, his young protege. It was when Timothy was in this city that he was told to fight the good fight, to command certain men not to teach certain doctrines, to mark this in the last days there would be terrible times. It was here that John was supposed to have lived and pastored churches. Eusebius wrote in the second century that this was John's home during the last years of his life. We find out from the early church historians that John frequently contended with the faith, contended for the faith. We find out that there's a group of men named Nicolaitans. And according to the ancient historians, they have abandoned the sound principles laid down in the law. They had practiced a separation between clergy and laity. Do you follow me? A separation meaning, I'm up here, you're down there. There needs to be a dividing wall between us. You need to understand in some subtle, unspoken way that I'm just a little better than you. That idea was introduced in Ephesus like so many other horrible heretical doctrines. But it went so far as to blur the lines between sexual immorality and pure holy relations. It went so far as to mix in idolatry into religious practices. These were the Nicolaitans. Not describing any modern church. But it started in Ephesus. A city of 500,000 people. Now people argue about the time period in which the letter of Revelation was written from which we're going to read. They say some say it was written in 100. Others say no, it was written in 80. You know what is so interesting about that? Is there was an emperor whose time spanned almost that entire time. And he lived in Ephesus, not in Rome. His name was Domitian. And Domitian reigned from 81 to 96. Domitian's daddy was Vespasian. Vespasian had been mortally wounded in battle. A headshot that thought he was dead. Some of the Jewish apocalyptic literature actually calls him a beast. They were all surprised when he did not die from his mortal headshot, but seemed to come back to life. He put a throne, Vespasian did, in Ephesus where he was to be worshipped. But his son, Domitian, enlarged the throne, made it of pure gold, and set it upon 24 pillars. And those 24 pillars, isn't that an interesting number, 24? Yeah, your books are open to Revelation now, right? Yeah. Upon those 24 pillars were inscribed the names of the Greek pantheon to give one message. Domitian is the God above all other gods. That's more than chutzpah. There was a large marketplace in Ephesus. You need to think about this. This book is written to a group of people that saw this every day. This is the marketplace. And what you need to know is that to enter this, that's not Algora. It's Agora. Right? To enter I know it's green, it's pretty. Your thoughts went there. To enter this marketplace, you had to pass by altars. They did the most amazing thing on these altars. History records this. A man named Beale records it intimately in his commentary on Revelation. To enter into this marketplace to buy or sell goods, you needed to make a sacrifice to Domitian. A sacrifice that says he is my Lord and my God, which is how he insisted that he would be addressed. And to make this sacrifice, you affirmed that truth. And how could we know who had sacrificed and who had not? Because you are not permitted to buy or sell in the marketplace without having sacrificed. Oh, I know. We will put ashes on your forehead. I've lived in places where people walk around with ashes on their forehead. What an emphasis. How strange when you see similar practices rolling through the history. The practice of taking an existing concept in religion and incorporating it into your own regardless of its roots is called syncretism. And in this very city, you can go down into the archaeological layers. I saw this on Discovery Channel of all places. And because of the strata of dirt, you can look and see, wow, this was during this century. And then there's a change in layers and you can see this was during this century. And do you know what happened in the 3rd and 4th century here? Artemis started appearing with a baby in her arms. And you can actually see in the foothills of the temple on the stones, Artemis is scratched off and a different name appears. 
Ma'am. I mean, just in case anybody missed that, that point. The altars throughout the city were designed to create the idea of emperor worship. This man insisted on being addressed by all in his empire as my Lord and my God. He decreed that all imperial statues of him must be made of pure gold. He began his letters which exist today. Copies of them exist today with the words, Your Lord and your God commands you. He had a choir that followed him around with 24 singers. 24. I'm sure he just picked that number randomly. Our Lord and our God, you are worthy to receive honor, glory, and power. That's what they followed him around saying. Our Lord and our God, you are worthy to receive honor, glory, and power. Your books are open, right? Yeah. Be interesting to take a concordance to that phrase. He had coins minted with the saying. These coins survive to today. The book that I'm reading about Christ and the Caesars has pictures of them. Lord of Lords and King of Kings appears next to his name. He's so cruel that a group of people named the Nazaneans, he used to bring people before him. He sat on his throne. He held a scroll in his right hand indicating he's the only one Worthy to rule. Because that's what a scroll meant to the ancient people. The divine right, the Magna Carta, if you will, to rule. And he sat on his throne in Ephesus, held it in his hand, and said, these things I have for you. And these things I have against you. And when he got to the Nazameans, he said, I cease to permit you to exist. And an entire group of people was completely wiped out because of those words. This is a wicked antichrist like man. All of the rulers in the provinces had to come and appear before him because he was the ruler of the world. All of them began with the formal ceremony. This I have for you, yet I hold this against you. There's a worship section in the Domitian games. These are the games that you see in movies like Gladiator, but they didn't occur in the Roman Colosseum only. They occurred also in Ephesus in uh, this theater. The priest and the spectators were all dressed in white. The priest wore crowns with Domitian's divine title written upon them. Lord of Lord, King of Kings. The people were commanded. They were given words that they had to shout. Kind of like if you were given a book that told you what you had to say when someone asked you to. You know, I speak and then you respond. And I speak and then you respond. An order of service, if you will. It says, Great are you, our Lord and God. Worthy are you to receive glory, honor, and power. Worthy are you to inherit all the earth. The highlight of these Domitian games, by the way, was when four different color horses raced around the arena. You know, one kind of pale, one kind of red, one kind of white. The close of the Domitian games was when death and Hades, two characters that were actually dressed like actors, came out to clear the dead bodies. This is the setting in which the following words are written. By the way, how are you feeling about how persecuted you are at the moment? Anybody here feel like, golly, I wished I lived in Ephesus because it is so hard here! No? Any of you sitting thinking, I wish I had Domitian for my boss because my boss is... No? No. In almost every conceivable measure, this is worse than your life, correct? Yes. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, by the way, angel of the church, this is a much debated phrase, but there are lampstands that seem to represent seven existent churches in Asia. No real indication that these should be ignored as the churches that actually stood in Asia during those days to whom they're actually addressed. I mean, you ever wrote a letter and you said, look, this is to Jan Kenshin. But in the back of your mind, you're really thinking, I don't so much want this to go to Jan Kenshin. But about 4,000 miles to the west of here, there'll be a group of people, 2,000 years from now, I really want it to go to them. I know I wrote to Jan Kenshin, but what I meant was, this was going to address an age 4,000 years from now. Guys, at some point, this gets absurd. It really does. This is a letter written to a group of people. 
and the angel is thought to be their pastor. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I don't have time to teach you about the hermeneutics involved in interpreting this phrase, but suffice it to say that Jesus holds the churches and He holds the pastors in His hand. They're not far from Him. They're in the center of His hand. They are His the same way that you would hold a baby in your hand. I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. You find any fault in that? Deeds, hard work, perseverance? Because I sure don't. What else does he say? I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. I would say that's pretty good so far. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Friends, if you don't read anything else, when you read this, you're thinking... This is the pinnacle of Christianity. This is what our church teaches. Deeds over creeds, correct? <laughs> and they got creed too. They're fighting against those with false doctrines. They are enduring. Go through this list with me again. Deeds, hard work, perseverance, no tolerance for the wicked, throwing out false teachers, enduring hardships for the name, and not growing weary. We are talking about Christians of the first class order, correct? The scariest thing on earth to me personally. I'm talking about when my friend points this out to me. I'm standing in his kitchen in Baton Rouge. On a different subject, I lost track of what he was saying. And fear struck me. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But if you have this, but you have this in your favor, you hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To he who overcomes, to he who overcomes. What did they have to overcome? Amazing difficulties. To he who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Deeds, hard work, perseverance, no toleration for wickedness, throwing out false teachers, enduring hardships, not growing weary, and yet they're said to have forsaken their first love and have fallen or declined from a great height. I'm honest here. I was struck with fear. Sometimes our gospel is so greasy in its grace. Such sloppy application of agape. That all we do is confirm for people, oh, you should feel great about yourself. Everything's just wonderful. Gosh darn it, people like you. Jesus is addressing a church that most of us would pale in comparison to. And he finds something lacking. And it's not that they're not working hard. They are. It's not that their doctrine is not good. It is. It's not that they've put up with heresy. They haven't. It's not that they've turned away from the faith. It's there is something lacking in their love, their intimacy with him. Now, I don't know about you, but my wife has told me before, Eric, I'd like to spend time with you. Right? And I'm thinking, my <coughs> woman, I just spent all day with you. And it was true. I did. She was doing dishes. I was laying on the couch eating potato trips. <laughs> drinking Coca-Cola. She said, I want to spend time with you. Say, so, okay, baby, let's go to the movies. Let's go to the museum. Let's go somewhere else. Let's do something. We'll accomplish something. I mean, the kind of thing we can look back and say, we did it. You ever go on a vacation? You want pictures not to remember the experience, but to prove it happened? Yeah. Kids' birthday parties are like that because every kid will grow up and tell their parents, it wasn't for me. 
<laughs> so I had this kind of experience and I realized, yeah, I took her to the movies, I went to the museum, I did all of those things, but I still didn't spend any real time with her. It was just an activity. Just get there, do it, get there, do it. And was it a good thing? Yes! Was it the right thing? Yes! Did I miss the point? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, maybe you don't, because you guys are all on a level that I'm striving for. But I sometimes find my walk with Jesus like that. I go do, and I do, and I do, and I tell you, you need to do! If you're sitting there just talking, man, you backslidden heathen, you're in hell! I'll tell you all kind of crazy things. If you didn't know me, you'd know I was crazy. Now that you know me, you wonder, but you're probably convinced I'm crazy. And I find that my life can become about duty and not a passionate love affair. Feelings are fleeting. Actions, they're concrete. And I always lean towards actions. I even tell you that love is an action word. And yet I found out that you can do the right actions and still be missing something because Jesus says they're declining. They're falling from where they were meant to be. I have more to tell you about that, but I want you to turn to Ephesians 1. I thought we would address the same group of people. Ephesians 1 is written some 35 years before this. Tell me when you're there. there. Ephesians 1, I'm going to read to you uh, 15 through 23. This is Paul's prayer for the Ephesians. This is some 35 years before they get this word from John, uh, the book of Revelation. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, so far so good, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know Him better. Yes, yes. Do you know who Bo Jackson is? Bo Jackson was 240 pounds. He was six foot two or three. I don't know. He ran faster than the speed of light, or it seemed like it. And in college, he embarrassed people with the way that he ran over them. It sounds like I know Bo Jackson, but I don't know him. You know about him. You can even have sat in the same room with him for a long time. But you don't know his heart. You don't know what he's thinking. You're not close enough to read his mind when you see his eyes. Paul was praying for these people that they would know him in an increasing way. You know when two people are really in love, and especially if they've been in love for a while, one can kind of glance at the other one and they both know what's on their mind. Immediately. You know, there's an unspoken communication. How dirty. 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 There's an unspoken communication that occurs. There is a knowing Jesus that is this way. And anything less than that is a declining state of Christianity. And friends, I confess, I find myself there. I go from this meeting to that meeting, from this problem to this problem, to this mountain to conquer, to this people group to reach to this, to this, to this, and somewhere in that, I feel eroded in my spirit. I know the right thing to do, but I don't necessarily know what's on Jesus' mind at that moment. Can you not relate to that? Am I the only foul individual in here that needs to crawl and hide behind the pulpit? The Ephesian church had superstar status. They were awesome. But something was happening. After 35 years, what happens to a group of people? Well, we're in the second generation at this point. Some of those amazing experiences were now stories rather than my life. Some of it just seemed to be relegated to myth that we accept, but not reality that we experience. And it was happening. And Jesus warned them. And why did He warn them? Because He loved them. Paul's prayer 
I pray this also that your eyes and heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which He has called you, the riches of His glorious inheritance. What a high calling! His inheritance. Not your inheritance in Him. This is not talking about something you receive. It's something He receives from you. An intimacy. It's an inheritance, a glorious richness. And His incomparably great power for us who believe. He goes on to talk about how awesome that power is and how it fills everything in every way. Turn with me to Isaiah. You'll be in Isaiah 29. Steve's there. Come on, rest of you. Help me. Help me. I want time for us to worship so that we can practice what we preach. We will close this service shortly and we will worship. We will renew. You know, no matter how bitter Jennifer and I may get into an argument, it can be renewed. It can be renewed easily because there is a deep and abiding love there. And it is not hard to fan it into flame. It's not hard for your heart to melt again and it to be like you were first in love again. Feelings are Feelings are fading. They're fleeting. But, the thing about it is, our God makes our hearts soft and pliable again. He can put His thoughts in your mind. Think about the benefits of this for a moment. Abel and Oneida just experienced something where someone heard from God. They were close enough to understand His thoughts at great sacrifice to themselves to meet another's need. Now you could read in the Word that we... Uh, Sell everything you have and give it to the poor if you want to be rich. And what happens when you read that? Does this apply to me or does it not? Who can really know? How do you know? You have to know God's thoughts for your life. You can be next water and be contemplating a move a long ways away. You can sit in front of your pastor and say, you know, are you sure that we're going to be here a long time? Because I'm kind of thinking otherwise. And he can say, no, you're going to be here. God didn't want you here. He wouldn't have put you here. You're going to be here. Because I did that to Nick. And how do you know whether that's right or not? How do you know? Well, you go to the Word. Are you going to find in the Word whether or not that situation is right? I mean, is this a rule book? Do we have, when we say, well, it's basic instructions before leaving earth. <laughs> you wonder why the world thinks we're dorky. <laughs> you say, this is my instruction book for living. Really, is it? Is this a rule book for you that tells you which way to turn at each stop sign? Or is it a guide for your spiritual interaction with the king so that you can read about his character and understand what his voice would be saying and what he would not say to you? Do you worship him in truth only or is there spirit in truth? How do you know what it is? Friends, I'm not trying to be vague. I, I, what I'm trying to say is that you can open the word and it says Judas hung himself and that's not a word for you. When we know about God, when we are in love with Him, but something starts to fade and we don't renew it, when His teaching to us simply becomes a lifestyle. And friends, this happens to every group of people. What is new and vibrant and passionate and rebellious in the world's never seen anything like it and I'm going to take them by storm over time tames you because it's what you're used to doing. When this begins to happen, there's danger. And the reason that there's danger is we were not meant to live by a system of rules. We were not meant to live by a group of doctrines that confines our behavior and our life. All of those things are there to guide us. But that's not how we were meant to live. Listen to what Isaiah says in the 29th chapter, 11th verse. For this whole vision is nothing but words sealed in a scroll. Praise God, Jesus opened scrolls. And if I give the scroll to someone who can read it, they'll say, say to him, read this please. He will answer, I can't, it's sealed. There are things in which man did not understand and did not know until Jesus broke the seal. Or if you give the scroll to someone who cannot read and say, read this please. He will answer, I don't know how to read. Have you ever tried to tell somebody something that would help them? I mean, it would help them, and it's just like... <laughs> yeah. You ever tell your kids, don't do that, baby, that will hurt you. 
<laughs> it's not getting through. We're not to be like that. We are not to be like that anymore. Because He put something inside of us that it's supposed to resonate with. There's supposed to be a drawing from both parties and a commingling of His divine nature in us. So that when we hear a word of correction, a word of life, it's not just like it's sealed up in a scroll, like it's ignorance. But there's something in it that is supposed to agree with you. Bear witness even. When we start to lose that, here's what happens. These people come near to me with their mouth. They honor me with their lips. But their hearts are far from me. You think they wanted their hearts to be far from me? No, they're saying the right things. They're trying. But something in them, that intimacy was dying. And they didn't rekindle it. Their worship of me is made up only of rules taught by men. My God, have you looked around lately? The first thing that happens when you join the church is they give you their rule book. I tried to do it. I tried when I was first born again and I converted people. I tried. I gave them the rule books. Friends, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. You create people that are twice the sons of hell that you were. They just look religious. They just say the right things, but inwardly they're still devils. Worse than that, they confuse people. Therefore, once more, I will astound these people with wonder upon wonder. With wit, The wisdom of the wise will perish. The intelligence of the intelligent will vanish. Woe to those who go to great depths to hide their plans from the Lord, who do their work in darkness and think, who sees us? Who will know? You turn things upside down as if a potter were thought to be like the clay. Shall what is formed say to him who formed it, He did not make me? Can the pot say of the potter he knows nothing? In a very short time will Lebanon not be turned into a fertile field and the fertile field seem like a forest? In that day the deaf will hear the words of the scroll. And out of the gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind will see. Once more the humble will rejoice in the Lord. The needy will rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. Yes. Friends, we cannot let God's Word be sealed to us. A price was paid for Him to open those scrolls. We cannot be just people who are doing their duty for God. You know when your kids are obedient to you, Versus when they really want to help you. The difference? My kids will do anything that I tell them to do because they have to. But there are times when they sincerely want to. They want to be around me. They want to be close. They want to be a part of what Dad is doing. That's what our relationship is supposed to be like. He's opened our eyes and our ears to what He wants. And what He wants are not certain words. It's not even certain deeds. The deeds are the natural byproduct of being intimate with Him. He wants you on your way to work to talk to Him. Not for an hour because you must. Not with a stopwatch. Not with a journal that says, Look, I'm perfect every day I do this. It's my quiet time and I've never missed. <laughs> I don't have a quiet time. I don't. I hope you do. I think it's great. I don't. But what I need, what I feel like I'm falling, declining from the heights to which I'm called when I don't, are moments in every day when I stop and I think, not, Lord, what do you want me to go do? Lord, what do I need to be doing? Lord, how about them? How about this? How about all of this? All the logistics, Lord! But I just stop and to Him. Not my need list. Not my dear Santa Claus list. Not my bless me list. Just what's on your mind today, Lord? This is what's on mine. What's, what's on your mind? And I worship Him son. Yeah. This is how we were meant to live. And friends, so many things are competing for your attention. So many things are fighting for that time that it is easy to get your workout in. It's easy to get one more cigar in. It's easy to just get activities in. But that's not how we were meant to live. All classically bad choices that come in life, they don't come for Christians from malicious behavior. They don't come from, I want to get this wrong. 
They come from losing that intimacy and doing what we think is right, even what we've been trained is right. I one time spoke with a man who literally believed that you should not stop on the way to church to help somebody who was broken down in their car because it was the devil trying to keep you from church. Could you get that idea in the Word from a certain vantage point? It is possible. You could see that there are demonic obstructions. You could read a scripture that says, do not forsake the gathering together of one another. You could get that misconception. Could you get the conception that that was wrong from the Word? Yes. That the pure and faultless religion is taking care of widows and orphans, serving one another. We could get that. How do you know what Jesus wants you to do? You have to hear His voice in those moments. You have to be close enough to know how to rightly divide His Word for you. Not lay down a rule and a doctrine for all men everywhere and every nation at all times, but for you. How about the children coming to Jesus? Do you think His disciples had good motives when they tried to stop the children? I bet they did. These were not mean men. They weren't malicious. They'd given up everything to follow Jesus. They'd been around Him. I bet they were just trying to protect Jesus. He was whipped. He was tired. They didn't want Him to be bothered. But did they miss Jesus' heart in trying to do something good? Yes. Jesus chastised them first class. I mean, you think God that I'm rough. How about Peter? Peter stands there and he hears that his Lord is talking about being mistreated, <coughs> torn apart, dying. And is it a good heart that says, no, no, never. I don't want you to be hurt, Jesus. Of course it is. And yet it's the devil. It's the devil. Because that's not where God's heart was. It was God's will to crush him. So well, I know that from reading the Word. Oh, you self-righteous holier-than-thou thing. How hard is it to interpret the Word in a moment standing there before knowing that somebody you love is talking about their limbs being ripped off? You better be able to hear from God. And how? How do I hear from God? How? 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 And you'll hear sermons. This is seven ways to hear from God and you might even hear me preach them. But the truth is there's only one way. You've got to get intimate with Him. Because what works for John may not work for him. What works for Dad may not work for Darren. This is, this is our unique relationship with Him. Are there some basics? Sure. Just like for February 14th, most women are going to like roses. Does that mean that every woman would want a rose? Something might get offended. You gave me something that dies? I wanted something that lasts forever and sparkles when it's dark! <laughs> most women like chocolate. Does that mean that they all want chocolate? Why'd you give me chocolate? <laughs> Why is it only two pieces? Are you saying something? <laughs> you think I'm fat, don't you? <laughs> There's a lot of ways these things can go. How do you know what your spouse wants? Because you know your spouse. And if you don't, and you get it wrong, you're counting on the love and mercy of your spouse to teach you. Our King does not require us to get it right 100% of the time. He requires us to do whatever it takes to get to know Him. We emphasize in this church daily, Lordship, 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 Lordship. And I preach it all of the time. If He's not your owner and controller, you are not saved. I don't have any problem telling somebody at the altar in front of the whole church, He's not your Lord, you're going to hell. I don't have a problem doing that. And it is part of our message. But you know what? There's another part of the message too. It's more than just doing what He says. Being soft and pliable before Him. Delighting in His ways. Loving Him. Loving Him. Emotionally attached to Him even. So well, the emotions just aren't always there. Will you scab? Do something to make them there. How many of you would put up with your spouse for 20 years never showing any affection towards you? Turn with me to Romans 8. I'm going to give you a couple more scriptures then we are going to get intimate with our God. By the way, 
When you hear a word like this, some of you think it's hard. Some of you think it's right on. Some of you wonder why I didn't preach on something else. I was very honest about why I preached on this, and you need to consider that with every word that comes out of my mouth. There is a danger that faces me. I am a driven, stubborn individual. God uses this to get things accomplished. In all of my striving, and all of my fighting to accomplish something for the kingdom, I can miss the point. What He wants most of all at the end of the day is for me to know Him a little better, Him to know me a little better, and for us to exist walking in the garden in the cool of the day. This is the goal of God. Everything Jesus did for you, everything that you do for Him is to get people into that place. The warning to the Ephesian church scares me to death. It makes me stop and work out my salvation with fear and trembling. It makes me stop and seek. By the way, any of you have loved ones in your life that look at you? And they should know that you love them. But every now and then they... You still think I'm pretty? You still love me? What are they looking for? Affirmation. Reassurance. They want to share in that bond. They know that it's there, but they need to experience it. They need to refresh in it. You are made in God's image. Our relationship with Him is meant to mimic our relationship with each other or vice versa. The reason we call Him Father is because when a son relates to a father in a holy way, his daddy, his papa, that relationship mirrors our relationship to papa, daddy, father, God. And just like a son sometimes needs to look at his dad and say, am I doing it right? Is it good? Daddy, are you happy? We need to take time to stop and do that. To receive affirmation, to let His Spirit bear witness with our spirit that we are His sons. And when you get so busy that doing the work of God is distracting to being with God, you're falling, you're declining, and you don't even know it. The Ephesian church was warned in Acts 20, ferocious wolves are going to come up from among you. They'll devour the flock. Now a ferocious wolf, if it presents itself right away, they threw it out. You can see that in Revelation. They contended with the false teachers. They threw them out. But you know what's harder to contend with? The ferocious wolf that looks so much like a sheep. It acts like a sheep. It is a sheep. It's doing all of the right things, but it's missing that intimacy with God so that the ways of God become rule upon rule, precept upon precept, just a bunch of little automatons following the rule book. In Romans 8, start with me in the 12th verse. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not to live, not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. For those that are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. Not those who follow the rules of God. Not those who accept and understand the doctrines of God. Not those who do the right things. Those who are led by His Spirit. The overwhelming thing about the times you've been really led by His Spirit is all of you know how close you came to not doing what He said. And it's a humbling thing. It'll bring you to tears. When you realize that a choice you made that you now know was definitely God, but earlier you weren't sure, brought life to somebody, rather than rejoicing in their life, it's easy to cry and be broken and think, I almost didn't do it. This is how you work out your salvation with fear and trivial. This is how you strive to block out everything else and get what the Jews call your kavana, your heart right, so that you can hear His voice so that you're not doing all of the right things, fighting for the faith, enduring persecution, all of those things, but falling and declining inwardly. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by Him we cry, yearn, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Inwardly, we need to seek God's affirmation. Not the affirmation of men. Not the affirmation of an institution. Not the affirmation of the people around you. 
It is great when people around you help guide you in your life. That's what ministry is for. But there is no substitute for knowing that you're where God wants you to be. That He's proud of you if no one else is. And friends, He will put you in a place over and over and over where nobody likes what you're doing except Him. That's how He knows that you are intimate with Him. You read Matthew 7. See about people that prophesy and cast out demons but were never intimate with Him like they should have been. i got one more scripture for you. 2 Timothy. Timothy is in Ephesus while this is occurring. You'll be in 2 Timothy, the third chapter. But mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. Boy, were there terrible times in the days that were the last 20 years of that century? Yeah. It's a mistake to apply 100% of that to some other time without deference, without feeling, without consideration to what took place during the last part of that century. I'm not saying that there's not a double fulfillment. And those of you that are hung up in your eschatology, I'm not placing all of Revelation in the first century. If you know me, you know me better than that. What I'm saying is it's a mistake to ignore what happened to them and place it in some movie setting that psychologists have written books about. That's, that's ridiculous. It was addressed to a people group. And he told them, Paul prayed with them, he warned the Ephesian elders. He told them, and then Jesus said, I hold you in my hand and I'm warning you. And you know what? A lot of it still went south. Still went wrong. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves. What does it mean to be a lover of yourself? All that means is that you care a little more about yourself than the people around you. You've never been that way, have you? It's so unique when somebody's not that way that we give testimonies about it. When somebody cares more about your need for a car than their need for a car. We give testimonies about that because what you usually see is, well, <laughs> I need this. I'm sorry about you, dude. <laughs> I mean, you know, work out your own thing, you know. I work for a living. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money. There's none of that in the church. Lord, they write books called Money Cometh. <laughs> There's no lovers of money in the church. Well, how far off do you have to get? Can't you just can't you start with what well, the Lord does want me blessed? And I mean, I'm using this all for good things. It's just seed for sowing. But more and more and more your heart's gravitating towards it than something else. The truth is, people, we're fickle. We are fickle. You have to renew your love for Jesus over and over and over so that you don't love the blessing He gives you more than the one who blessed you. Good. We're so fond of picking on Israel. That's exactly what happened to them when God said it would happen before they went into the promised land. So when you get there and you're tempted to say, look what my arms have done, you need to remember you are a wandering Armenian. But we all forget, don't we? Boastful. No boasting in the church. No name dropping. Somebody didn't work into a sentence. Yeah, I was there and you know, <clears throat> Pastor so-and-so, uh, he was there. People don't boast, do they? Yeah. Proud. Abusive. I mean, we go on and on and on to where we get to the fifth verse having a form of godliness and denying its power. That is such a comfortable verse when you apply it to some other people group. Right? That's those whatever. Some of those churches down there. That's them. Because they are not baptized in God's Spirit. Right? So they, they look like God, but they don't have His power. That's, that's how I usually teach this to you. And I'm not saying it's not true. But what about those that have been baptized in His power, but over time, is dwindled. And this has just kind of become something we do. Just kind of the right way to live. I mean, this is what we know we're supposed to be doing. Just the right thing. Rule upon rule. Is that not a form of godliness without its true power? Because you can know the right thing to do as we've already illustrated several times and it'd be wrong for you in that moment. We're dependent upon hearing from God. Go to Chicago. Give away the car. 
go to the islands. Stay one more day, even if Jan has to watch the kids. <laughs> you see, the power of the gospel is his ability to show you what is your next move for everything in life. For you to stand against all the power of hell because you know you have His Spirit showing you. This is how when you were first born again, you could stand up to the establishment and say, No! You knew that God had given you affirmation. And buddy, I did it. I did it. Like Joseph with his coat of many colors, I danced around with it. If they could have thrown me in a hole, they would have. But what does it mean when you say you did it? What's different today? And all of your learning, and all of your wisdom, and all of your repetition, has some of it simply become rote? It may be time to make sure you haven't fallen from the height to which you were called. Yes. You renew that first love. Go back to Ephesians. It's the first scripture that I read you. Worship team, you guys can start to come back up here. Having a form of godliness and denying its power. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know Him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which He has called you, the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and His incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of His mighty strength which He exerted in Christ when He raised Him from the dead. Saints, it's time to get reinvigorated with that power. To knock the dust off your revelation. To say, Lord, today I want to take time to know You a little better. He told this same group of people to put on the armor of God so that in that day they could take their stand. And you know what? That day came. They took their stand. And do you know how the Ephesian church finished the first century? You heard what you heard in the book of Revelation. The early church historians record that within 40 years of Domitian's reign, they had converted 90% of Ephesus to Christianity. See, these words are not locked up in a scroll to us. It's not something we can't read. We have a choice before us every day. Reach out and yearn for Him. Be moved by Him. Or be indifferent and just do what we do every day. I want to be moved by Him. I don't want my heart to become hard. I want to be soft and pliable in His presence. I want Him in me. And I want to be in Him. Intimate with my God. Y'all stand to your feet. Let us worship together. We have no more format. No more rules. We just want to spend time with our kids.